Amen. Thank you, Kendi. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. Welcome. Kendi mentioned that January is almost over, and it was starting to feel like it's like January 50th. Like, remember when we had kind of this 2020 new year, new decade, which apparently the Farmer's Almanac people say it's not actually the new decade. That starts next year. But we kind of needed some some hope, and January has responded with like threats of World War III and a pandemic outbreak. Uh, so take heart, January is almost over. Uh, this morning we talked about the weather and how like August is going to be beautiful. So don't make any rush decisions. Um, well, uh, I don't remember if Candy mentioned it or not, but uh, we're in this series now, Spirit, Soul, Body. Uh, this is the third week uh, of that series. So uh, for two weeks, we talked about what is our spirit. Today, we're going to begin to talk about what is our soul. That will continue next week uh, as Richard is back with us. And then the following two weeks, we'll talk about the body. The pursuit in this uh, for all of us is wholeness. What does it mean for us uh, to feel at peace uh, with, with God, at peace with the world around us, at peace uh, within ourselves? Um, our hope is that we would joyfully both display and experience uh, the goodness and faithfulness of God for the flourishing of the whole uh, creation. But the world uh, feels increasingly fractured and, and fragmented, does it not? Uh, people are at war with, with one another, at war with the earth, often at war with, within ourselves, with our own souls and our own bodies. And the damage is, uh, of these battles is evident all around us, that despite the wealth we experience uh, in the West, there are these epidemic races. Uh, uh, rates of, of, of suicide and uh, anxiety and depression and loneliness and workaholism and, and debt and, and body shaming and confusion uh, around our, our, our sexuality. And then there's this bitter withdrawal into these um, kind of isolated tribes over social and political issues. Um, but the good news of the gospel offers us a different way. That Jesus speaks in John 12 of himself being lifted up and all people being drawn to him. And similarly, in, in Ephesians 1, we learn about the summing up of all things in Christ, that history is headed toward all things be unite, being united in Jesus. So yes, the good news is that God is at work in the world, is on a mission to bring together all the broken and, and, and fragmented and fractured pieces. So I wonder this morning, are, are you fractured? Are you divided? Are you broken? There's good news. And this is our thesis together of this morning, that central to the message of Jesus is the beauty of our own brokenness when offered to God uh, in service. But in order for Christ to be on display through our brokenness, we have to understand the relationship between our spirit, our soul, and our body. So for the last few weeks, like I mentioned, we learned about the renewed spirit within us, given to us freely, by God, not earned. And today we're gonna look at the soul. And we're gonna begin to answer three questions uh, together. These are in your bulletin if you wanna follow along. The question, what is the soul? Uh, why does the spirit need to be released? And then lastly, how is the spirit released? What is the soul? Why does the spirit need to be released? How is the spirit released? Let's pray together as we open the scriptures. God, we uh, just thank you for these moments together in worship to, um, to be here together together. Uh, within these walls and, and, and even online. 
God, I pray specifically now as uh, many of us, maybe particularly in this season, just feel this kind of extended winter. Uh, could we know this morning that, that underneath the soil, Lord, you are uh, creating and building something beautiful within us. Uh, would we tap in together this morning to this endless spring, this newness of life uh, that you bring. And so we commit our whole selves to you now uh, as we listen for your voice. We love you. Amen. So this question, what is the soul? Uh, it's, it's important for us at the outset to differentiate between our soul and our spirit. Many of us have never quite uh, uh, done work to understand that, and many folks just don't think they're separate at all. And so we could spend all our time here this morning, but we won't. Uh, I know you often love a good kind of theological debate or philosophical uh, deep dive, uh, and I know our capacity to miss the forest for the trees. Uh, and so we're gonna hit the high level of this this morning and pull what we can and then we'll just do the rest uh, later. As Richard says, different sermon for another day. Uh, but in Genesis 2-7, we have the genesis of our spirit and our soul. The scripture says this, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now the breath of life is the spirit of God breathed into us by God. And that second phrase, and the man became a living being. That is our soul. This is when our soul was born. The soul is our mind, our will, our emotions. This is our personhood. This is our personality. The soul is distinct from the spirit and then it can operate without the spirit. And as we'll see, that's part of the problem. We often do that. The Hebrew word, uh, the most common word for soul is nefesh. And while it's used in the Old Testament over 700 times, it's most often used to refer to our, our whole physical self. It's clear in scripture that our souls, though, are this constant uh, work in progress, that our souls are, are shaped by circumstances and, and our lived experience. They're blown and tossed by the winds of, of life. Our souls carry our story and our brokenness. And this is why in Matthew 11, Jesus prays that we would have rest for our souls. He's naming this restlessness that we all feel, maybe even now today. And the Psalms are full of these soul cries to God, like David in Psalm 63 when he said, my soul thirsts for you, God. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Our spirit, on the other hand, is the breath of God intended to animate the soul. Our spirit is the dwelling place of God. Scripture calls this the great mystery, that Christ within us is the hope of glory. The Spirit is the image of God placed within us. And this is our core identity, that we bear the image of God. We can't earn it and it can't be taken away. But what I want us to see together today is it must be let out. Yes, the Spirit of God needs to be released. I've titled this message, Breaking the Windows of the soul because as we'll see together, in order for the spirit of God to be released, our souls must be broken and then submitted to God. So understanding our, our spirit, soul, body by way of these concentric circles is helpful here as this diagram that Richard often draws for us. In fact, this is the one that he drew. Uh, the spirit is this innermost circle. Again, this is our renewed spirit given by God, the image of God within us and God's dwelling place. And our soul is this next rung out. This is our mind, will, and emotions, our personality, our story, our history. 
And then our body is the outermost circle, as we'll talk about two weeks from now. You can think of it this way. The spirit wears the soul, and the soul wears the body. And in order for Christ's life to shine through us then, it must be released. So let's look at this together. Why does the spirit need to be released? I'm gonna give us uh, four reasons together, not three, four. It's a four-point sub-point. <laughs> Boom. Richard's not here. He won't know. Uh, the first reason is the spirit must be released. Uh, the first reason the spirit must be released is that we are called to walk by the Spirit. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Galatians chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 16. It'll also be on the screen. Galatians 5 tells us to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. So listen to this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you are not able to do whatever you want. I love when scripture's just really clear. The passage continues to contrast the, the flesh uh, and the spirit by measuring the fruit or the result of living by each. So starting in Galatians 5.19, it says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So living by the flesh has bad fruit, has rotten fruit, and it comes with the warning of missing out on eternal life. But listen to the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I'm reminded of Jesus in the garden. Eat as much as you want from that tree. There's no law against these. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit is good, uh, as good fruit, and, and we cannot walk by both the flesh and the spirit, because they have different fruit. The one leads to death, the other leads to life. So that's the first reason the spirit of God must be released, is because we are called by God to walk by the spirit. The second reason is this. The second reason is because God's intent is for our soul and our spirit to display God's glory together. If this is Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we are little by little being transformed into God's image, displaying God's glory to the world. And this is why we read in verse 25 of Galatians 5 that we must uh, walk in step with the Spirit, that we're walking alongside, that our spirit joins with God's spirit to display Christ's life to the world. But the person who lives out from the soul only, ruled by their own mind, will, and emotions, their story, their brokenness, can't display God's glory because the soul seeks its own glory. Often the soul seeks its own preservation. But here Galatians 5.24 again, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion, passions and desires. Therefore the self-governing, self-determining strength of our soul must be delivered a fatal blow by the death of Christ. And indeed it has. 
So 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that the natural man, the soulish man as we'll often call it, doesn't accept the things that come from the spirit. Now the French, man, uh, the French Bible calls this natural man the, the animal man. And this is because uh, a common understanding to which I would subscribe as well is that animals have souls and bodies but what makes humans unique is our spirit breathed into us by God. And when our spirits aren't functioning, when they're, when they're hidden within us, when they're dormant within us, we're living solely by our survival instincts. Uh, and this can be uh, disruptive. So I know uh, this guy who's a real life cowboy. I don't know if anybody, I think that's pretty cool. I don't know if any of you know any, like sundown to sunups, the hat, the boots, the whole, the big old belt, the whole thing. It's completely authentic. It's not any kind of show. But one of the really stereotypical things that this cowboy uh, does a, a lot is uh, he'll, he'll drive uh, draft horses. And so if you know these, like the really big, like 2,000 pound, like Clydesdale, Budweiser commercial, there everybody's like, yeah, I got you. Uh, they'll be on during the Chiefs game next week, I'm sure. These really big horses, thank you. Uh, <laughs> So he, he would drive these draft horses every year at this thing called the Lights of Christmas, which many of you have been there. It's up at, uh, up at Warm Beach and Stanwood. And he'd be, you know, winter wonderland, pulling this thing. There's like a trailer that would often have like 40 people on it, kind of going on this neat little winter ride, very peaceful, uh, until like one of these horses uh, gets spooked. And so he's driving these horses one day, uh, and out of the corner of his eye, he sees someone, uh, it's raining, and he sees someone just come out of a door, and they're about to open a golf-size umbrella. Do you know the type of umbrella, like you can fit your family under it? Very, very large umbrella. Now, he's in charge, uh, in theory, of two horses that weigh about 2,000 pounds each, so there's about 4,000 pounds of horse flesh that's under his care. There's no way he can control these horses except that the 12 pounds that matter, their hearts, are completely driven by his voice and by his call. So as they come around a corner and he sees in a split second this person about to open an umbrella, he, he has a nice deep voice, so he's like, boys... And their heads turn, their ears turn back, and they are completely locked in. He hasn't even given them a command. But it starts with, boys, whoa. And the whole thing slows down. In that second, the umbrella opens, and there was not carnage. Like, this can happen. Uh, no, nobody knew anything. And this large cowboy, now sweating through his cowboy getup, breathes the deepest sigh of relief because he had their hearts. And that's what he needed. And this story to me perfectly uh, illustrates the third reason why the Spirit of God must be released within us. And it's this, that the Spirit of God being released frees us from our potentially destructive instincts, our potentially destructive fight or flight instincts. That when, when life spooks us, we often react, we often go it alone and we're prone to make a mess of things. Life out from the spirit keeps our ears tuned to the confident and calming voice of God that our hearts are captured by and delighted to heed his commands. When they heard boys, they stopped to listen, to wait, 
to let the situation be assessed for them and then they responded uh, accordingly. And this is really important uh, for us because uh, walking by the Spirit isn't just a way for us to avoid sinning. That Galatians 5 doesn't simply just say no to a list of things. Rather, right after that, it says yes to a much better list. That we need the yes of walking by the Spirit, not just the no of resisting the flesh. Now, maybe you've experienced this uh, in your own life, maybe even this month as you've pursued a, uh, a New Year's resolution. Uh, in some small way, have you, have you been seeking a personal goal? You, you may have experienced this. If I tell myself uh, not to eat cookies because cookies are bad, at some point, a cookie is going to present itself. And I, in my flesh, will say, but cookies are good, and I will eat the cookie. But if I tell myself I want to care for my body so it can be useful to God uh, and I want to fulfill all my responsibilities as a husband, father, and pastor, and cookies are full of sugar and I'm diabetic and high blood sugar makes me feel awful and when I feel awful, it's hard for me to fulfill my responsibilities as as a husband and father and pastor, then it's not just about the no to cookies but about the much greater yes to being fully used by God, amen? And that is if you give Eric a cookie. It's like this children's book. Full disclosure, I was eating a cookie when I came up with that analogy. So God preaches the message to me, and then I preach it to you. Um, But the point is, there's always this greater yes when temptations make saying no difficult. Isn't this true? And more important than that, when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, like Rod's horses, it's harder to be tempted in the first place. That I didn't see the big scary umbrella because the cowboy called me and I stopped to listen. So the Spirit releases us, uh, frees us from our often destructive instincts. And this is the fourth reason that the Spirit of God must be released within us. Hear this. Because walking in the flesh puts us at risk of missing the life that we're called to live. The reality is that it's possible for us to miss out on the life we're called to to live even while we're doing uh, Christian things, things that we believe are good and even are good. Hebrews 4 reminds us that the, the children of Israel loved God and they acted in faith by putting blood on the door, but they never entered into the life that they were, uh, which they were created for. So they died in the wilderness. God's intent for them was to enter the promised land, was to enter his rest by putting their complete faith in God, being freed from the law and trusting God for every provision. Hebrews 4 goes on to tell us that the revelation of God divides between soul and spirit. Listen to this from Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. In other words, the revelation from God reveals what is from God and what is from the flesh. The fruit of the flesh, a soul-led life, can include envy, gossip, division, and all the other stuff from the list we read in Galatians 5. Even inside the church, even doing the stuff that God is about, like Bible study and social justice and service and worship. That just because a project is Christian doesn't exempt it from being of the flesh. 
want us to hear this, that God is as concerned with the source and origins of our works as he is with the nature of our works. And I know that I can lead worship in the flesh. I can, I can tithe in the flesh. I can preach in the flesh, and I have. And you know how I know, because it was joyless. And I've walked away exhausted and even bitter every time that's happened. And of course, God is good and gracious, and he's always wooing hearts, and he's not limited by my kind of broken offering, my self-centeredness. People will come up afterward on a Sunday where I'm just slogging away over here, singing, singing the hits, you know? And, uh, and they're like, oh, that was the most amazing time of worship. Like, God spoke deep into my heart. And every time, like, I have the choice to kind of either be like, oh, God, why do, you, why do you do this? Or to turn and go, God, you are good, even despite my broken offering. But we can't do this for long when we're serving out of the flesh. And not because God's patience runs out or because he's gonna uh, stop stop wooing hearts, but because our well runs dry. Our soul begins to dry up. And the message is that God wants our hearts, that he is our deepest source. Listen to what Jesus says in John 7. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, out of them, out of their heart will flow rivers of living water. The spirit must be released in you and I because God is inviting the world around us, like the woman at the well, to drink from the source that never runs dry. And that source is within you and I. So to recap, our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions, and as long as our soul is in charge, we aren't living out from the deepest source, the spirit of God inside of us. The spirit must be released, but how? Let's consider uh, how the spirit is released together. It's released through two ways. I'll tell them to you, and then we'll talk about it together. The spirit is released through brokenness. That's number one. How is the spirit released? Through brokenness. And secondly, through brokenness offered to God continually in service. I want us to consider uh, together the scripture that Kendi read for us at the beginning. In John 12, 24, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now I wonder, are there any um, farmers here? Okay, good. I'm about to butcher wheat production. Uh, This message is not gluten-free. Thank you. Somewhere a drummer just did his thing. Uh, What Jesus is saying is that the outer uh, husk of the shell of the grain of wheat needs to be broken open for the life that's inside to be released. Jesus was speaking of his own need to die, a physical death in order for his life to be released into the world. And the same is true for you and I, that Christ's life, his spirit is alive in you and I, but it won't be released until we experience the breaking of our outer being and then begin to listen to the spirit of God and respond by the power of the spirit rather than out from the flesh, from our own mind, will, and emotions. Consider the the apostle Peter that uh, Peter, a disciple of Jesus, uh, he's, he's sort of famous for a lot of different things, but one of them is denying Jesus three times. That Jesus, if you go back and, and read this story, uh, Peter in the flesh very confidently says, Jesus, I will never 
deny you. And then when he faced opposition, when he's asked, he flips on Jesus not once, but three times. We can contrast that with, uh, with Peter at the beginning of the book of Acts. I encourage you to go home or sometime this week, read Acts uh, one through four and look at this spirit-empowered uh, Peter on the far side of, of the resurrection, full of resurrection life. He's, he's speaking wisdom and truth. He's taking all the heat. He's, he's healing and leading people in Jesus' name. And in between this Peter denying Jesus and this Peter full of resurrection life is brokenness and failure and Peter owning his own mistakes. It's very important for us to understand that there is life within the grain of wheat, but there's this hard shell surrounding it. And as long as the shell is not split open, the wheat cannot grow, uh, cannot sprout and grow. So unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, the scripture says. So what is this death? It is the cracking open of the shell through temperature and humidity working together in the soil. Now perhaps today in the soil of your life, you feel some heat and humidity, some pressure against you threatening to crack you at home or at work or even just in your own mind. Or perhaps as you battle an addiction daily, you're saying, Lord, I'm, I'm fighting here. I wish I was stronger. I, I, can't, I can't do it alone. And Jesus responds, no, you can't. Jesus is inviting us to stop trying to do for ourselves what he wants to do for us and through us. In other words, Jesus is saying cracking ain't so bad. Acknowledging our brokenness, embracing the trials that we face leads to life that there is power in our weakness when offered to Jesus. I wanna consider uh, 2 Corinthians 4 together, particularly looking at verse seven. Here we have, like the grain of wheat, another fragile thing being offered to God. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4 verse seven says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us, that our weakness is by design to display the glory of God. That passage continues that we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. There it is again, this jar of clay, something breakable, like a kernel of wheat. And maybe you're thinking, but I wanna be a fortress. I wanna be strong and fortified. I wanna be able to withstand anything that life brings at me. I wanna be preserved. And Jesus says, that's not the way. My power is made perfect in weakness. Consider when Jesus says, or when scriptures say, put on the full armor of God, this is something that we have to put on. This is something that we have to let out the life of Jesus from within us. And by the way, I, I think that one of the real dangers in the church today is this lie that we often believe that the goal is for us to, to get in and get out each week, not needing anything from anybody, uh, but the reality is that we are fragile and broken people who were made for community. And the primary way that we experience the life of Jesus is through one another. So let's not hide or be ashamed of our need, amen? Clay jars were containers created by skilled potters who took raw clay, shaped and molded it as they desired and then baked the clay until it was hard. Then they painted, glazed, or decorated the jars for whatever purpose they had in mind. 
In ancient times, sacred scrolls or valuable things uh, were rolled up and placed inside of a jar and then hidden for safekeeping. Pottery jars could be beautiful or purely functional, but they had one thing in common. They were breakable. Contents could not forever be housed in clay jars. Clay jars were temporary holding places. Sometimes we hold on to things that are valuable, do we not? We're sort of protecting them from use to preserve their value. Some insurance for a rainy day, something to cash in when we really need it. Like a classic car that never leaves the garage or a original Star Wars Lego set still in the box, never to be played with. Or a super rare beanie baby. <laughs> Remember those? Uh, we think we got to save it, we got to preserve it, that once it's used, it, it's ruined. And, and that's well and good for some things that we own, but not for our lives. That our whole selves, our giftedness, our brokenness, all of these things are meant to be offerings to God. In Mark 14, there's another example uh, of a valuable thing being put to use and the controversy uh, that it causes. I want us to listen to this together. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering me? She has done a beautiful thing to me. By the way, I love that this passage, like the little title in your Bible will often say, Jesus anointed at Bethany. Would that be uh, the prayer for us as Bethany Community Church, that Jesus, uh, that here at Bethany, we would anoint Jesus, that we would bring our full offerings uh, to Jesus and, and pour it out in extravagant worship. But church people love uh, good stewardship. We all do. So this felt like a waste, and nard is like an essential oil. So if you're wondering if this is valuable, like those tiny jars your friends sell you on Instagram, they're like $25. Uh, this is expensive stuff. The woman didn't put a drop in the diffuser like we do at our house or two and kind of let it waft for a while. Uh, and she, she didn't dab a little behind his ear as a symbolic gesture. Now she broke it open and poured it all on Jesus. And this is the invitation to us, that we would allow our lives to be broken and poured out in worship. And indeed, this is what Jesus did on our behalf. So how is the Spirit released? The Spirit is released through brokenness, but not only that, our brokenness must be continually offered to God through uh, submission and service. Remember our thesis for today. That central to the message of Jesus is the beauty of our own brokenness when offered to God in service. So we have a choice to make. Uh, we know we're broken, but are we going to offer our broken selves to God? I'm a clay pot fashioned in his hands. Dare I say, use me however you desire. Now I know without a doubt that submission and service and offering ourselves fully to God is how we release Christ's life into the world because this is what Jesus did. Remember Philippians 2, hear this. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant 
and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I want to tell you a story that illustrates the fruit of humility and service and and how we get there. I'm reading a book called The Good of Giving Up. It's about Lent and particularly how we as evangelicals uh, don't often uh, engage Lent and how we could, the beauty behind it, would recommend it to you. But I want you to hear this story. The author says, Roger Brandt is a lifelong family friend. We used to live down the street from Roger and his family in Kettering, Ohio. A veteran of the Air Force, Roger was the closest thing to a rocket scientist that I had ever met. He held advanced degrees in electrical engineering, taught astrodynamics at the Air Force Academy, and tested GPS technology for the Air Force before the technology was mainstream. But I didn't know any of that until I was doing research for this book because Roger never mentioned it. He was too busy taking my sisters and me out for ice cream, letting us run around his house, or helping my dad with household repairs. He was like a big brother to my parents and a grandfather to us kids. One fateful day, our 1971 Volkswagen Squareback was inadvertently filled with diesel fuel instead of regular. We didn't have the tools we needed, so my parents called Roger. With an encouraging smile on his face, Roger attached an old-fashioned siphoning hose to the fuel tank. Please undo this. This is like, like, don't blame it on, yeah. He bent down and he sucked the diesel fuel out of the engine. As you can imagine, some of the diesel got in his mouth as he initiated the reverse flow of the fuel. Now what would compel one of the most accomplished men we knew to take fuel into his mouth with no angle other than to serve. Simply put, Roger loved our family. And Roger loved us because he knew he was loved by God. It was as if Roger was loaded up with so much love that he couldn't help but descend. Love sinks us down to the place where we can serve. The author goes on to liken this uh, to a boat. that is able to, to be weighed down by a stabilizing mass so that it can, so that it can travel uh, through storms. He says, ships without a load are, are too flimsy to last on the open waters. Without enough ballast, heavy material like sandbags or lead weighing the vessel down, the choppy waters and stormy weather would make quick work of any ship. The more ballast, the lower the ship sinks into the water. The lower the ship sinks into the water, the more secure it becomes and the farther it is able to travel. I sometimes think for us that when we're in seasons where we're living out of ourselves, we, we kind of want to shed weight. And the testimony of Jesus is that no adding weight, but adding that yes to Christ, not the no uh, to the world, is the way to do this. He says, such is the humility of Jesus. The more of his father's love that he took on board, the lower he sank into the water. No one was more full of God's love, no one more willing to become a servant of all, and no one was more secured for his mission. So as we close together this morning, the invitation for us is to allow the windows of our soul to be broken open so that the spirit of God inside us can be released into the world, that we would be so filled up with the love of God that as we sail through the storms of life, we're able to carry all the the broken and fractured pieces like we sang to Jesus, knowing that he has already done 
the heavy lifting. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That as we're yoked with Jesus, we needn't only just obey and Jesus would do the hard work. Now next week, Richard will lead us as we consider uh, Judah and how this is a picture of how our souls are transformed over time. But we can rest today in this promise from scripture that this happens little by little. And even now, we can begin to offer ourselves to God, being extravagant with our worship like the woman in the jar of perfume. That he is worthy of our worship and our offerings are never wasted on him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you uh, for this call, for this challenge to own our brokenness, to allow you to move through us. We pray now as we respond in worship and even just as we take every event of the day and this week as an opportunity to worship, that we would allow uh, your life uh, to meet us in our weakness and flow through us. Um, God, we pray that we would find uh, community along the way, that we would uh, be you to one another, that we would see you in one another. Um, Lord, we love you in your name. Amen.